was a little different. That genie was one ugly being. I wouldn't want to come across him alone in a caveway. <laughs> what is that? Sir? Is there anything that I can help you with, sir? Uh, is this a friend of yours? No? Where are you from, kind sir? I'm the butler of this wonderful estate. I I'm sorry, and you are... Uh, just some visitors looking around. An elevator brought us here and then abandoned us. We're just looking for a way back home. Interesting. Well, seeing as you're here, can I offer you any refreshments? It seems like a century since the family were here to serve. It gets a little boring around here. I'm okay, thanks. Friend? Nothing for us, sir. Pity. Well, I'll leave you be. Look out for the others. There are some unsavory types around here. Good day. Others? Hang on. Ah, he's gone. Sounded pretty ominous, though. Anyway, let's head into this room. Looks like a woven bell. Alright, let's check it out. The Tale of the Ainu. Written by Robin O'Sullivan. Narrated by Jules. Monica sat on her brother's bed, holding the letter she had found in his drawer. The pages were well-thumbed, read many times. She flicked through them. The letter was full of descriptions of their sister Sally's travels through Japan and the amazing Ainu people she had met in a small mountain village in Hokkaido. Monica traced the words on the page with her finger. Reading them aloud, she could hear her sister's voice as clearly as if Sally were present in the room. It's an ancient way of life. Their customs date back at least 500 years. Oh, and the women, they're fabulous. They did these tattoos to show that they had reached adulthood. Intricate patterns on their hands and arms. And moustache-like designs on their mouths and they applique and embroider their clothes with beautiful patterns of motifs, each one particular to their own heritage and family line. I'm actually living with an Ainu family, recording their stories and traditions. I'm also trying to record some of their language. It was outlawed for ages and is in danger of being lost altogether. I could not possibly have imagined I would stumble across such a fascinating culture for my thesis. 
their spiritual beliefs are spellbinding. They believe spirits called Kamui inhabit all things, animals, plants, the elements, even objects like boats and pots. There are many gods, but one of the most important is Kim-un Kamui, the god of bears and the mountains. Sally's anthropology studies at university weren't especially interesting to Monica, who cared about the lost traditions of a pocket of people in a tiny region of Japan. But for their brother Jared, it was different. He had imagined himself with Sally every step of the way and seemed able to place himself in the tiny Ainu village alongside her. The day she and Jared had received this letter, Monica's first response had been to wonder why Sally had bothered writing seven pages in longhand rather than just sending an email. Of course, Jared had ridiculed her, suggesting that Sally would not have access to the internet in a mountain village. Jared often accused Monica of not being able to project herself beyond her own worldview. A knock on the front door broke into her thoughts. Through the window, she could see a shiny black sedan parked in the driveway. It stood out against the cream brick veneer and grey painted California bungalows in the street. She put the letter back in the drawer, took a deep breath and stood up. Time to go, she thought, smoothing down the pleats of her black skirt. It was dark inside the car, warm and dark like a cocoon. Monica didn't want to ever get out. She wanted to stay there, alone, safe from people expressing sympathy and offering condolences. Tears blurred her vision. She rummaged in her bag for a pack of tissues as the driver opened the door. Mourners stood around the open grave over which was poised Jared's coffin. As she stepped out of the car, her cousin Sharon walked towards her, hand extended. Monica held out her arms, glimpsing the loving care in Sharon's eyes as they hugged each other together. They made their way across the grass to the gravesite. Beside the coffin stood a table covered by a St Kilda football scarf and decked out with a framed photo of Jared. Dozens of native flowers and a few mementos of his life. His mandolin and camera. His battered sketchbox. The watch that had belonged to his father. Several chairs were dotted around the grave for those too old or too sad to stand. Monica walked to a chair at the head of the grave and sat down. Rather like presiding over Christmas dinner, she thought, with the family ranged around the table. As the funeral services ran its course, Monica focused on the photograph of her brother. Memories flooded her. Jared jamming in the garage, practicing with his bandmates, organizing family treks through the bush to photograph native plants, dragging her to football games and yelling until he was hoarse. Easy going and quick to laughter. Jared had been known as a colorful character within the family but he'd changed, had been depressed ever since they'd got the news about Sally. This grief was different from when their parents had died. 
It was the uncertainty about what really happened to their sister that had affected Jared so badly. And he had mourned for her in a desperate way. Monica could accept the unresolved puzzle of how Sally died, but she would never be able to fathom what happened to Jared. His death was baffling, even to the doctors. The autopsy had failed to reveal anything definitive. No apparent cause of death. Had he willed himself to die? Was that even possible? The sound of the coffin starting to descend brought Monica's attention back to her surroundings. People began to file past, taking flowers from the table and dropping them into the grave. Then Sharon was standing beside her. Monica looked up, gratefully. The car's here if you want it, Sharon said. But I thought we might walk across to the tea room. A little fresh air, some sunshine. Her voice trailed off as Monica rose from her chair, her face sorrowful. Sharon hesitated. Of course, if you don't feel... Monica tried to smile. No, that would be lovely. Thanks, Sharon. They cleared Jared's belongings from the table and Sharon took charge of the mandolin. As Monica wrapped the other mementos in the St Kilda scarf, together they walked towards the tea room, away from the coffin, unheeded at the bottom of a hole in the ground. It was a beautiful service, said Sharon. Mmm. Monica briefly leant her head on Sharon's shoulder. I guess he's with Sally now. He was so devoted to her. They were inseparable when they were kids. And always into mischief, Sharon laughed. Remembering the time I was staying with you for the school holidays and they cleaned the fireplace with a duster? Soot and ash went everywhere. And we had to clean it up. Monica clenched her jaw. I was always cleaning up their messes. Sharon looked at Monica. Jared was devoted to you too, you know. Do you think so? I'm not sure about that. Though I was feeling much closer to him since Sally, Monica fell silent for a while. The truth is, I never felt close to Sally. Too much competition between us. Oh, that's normal. There was plenty of sibling rivalry in my family too. It wasn't just sibling rivalry, said Monica. Sally always needed to shine. She was envious of everyone's achievements or good luck. God, I was glad when she went to Japan. After mum and dad died, I felt like the old one out. With Sally gone, I had Jared to myself. Sharon was watching her, eyes wide. I've shocked her, Monica thought. Try to focus on the good times, Monica sighed heavily. Sharon's eyes glistened with tears. It'll be okay. Somehow it'll be okay. I'll always be here for you. It was cold and lonely in the house that night. Monica heated a frozen pizza in the microwave and ate it. The kettle boiled and she made coffee. There was a knock at the door. Monica, can you hear me? Monica opened her eyes. She was lying on the floor. She didn't remember falling. Had she fainted? Leaning over her was a woman who looked like Sally. The woman had a line of black dots that curved around her mouth, just above her upper lip. She stroked Monica's cheek, speaking softly. It's me. Sally, are you okay? I'm so sorry. I should have told you I was coming. 
You went so pale, like you'd seen a ghost. Monica could feel her sister's skin on her own. It was soft and warm. You're supposed to be dead, she whispered. What? What do you mean dead? Confused, Monica wondered if she was dreaming, even as she answered the question. It was the police. They told us you died. The police, echoed Sally, slowly. Then she took charge. You're shivering. Let's get you off the floor. She helped Monica into the lounge room and settled her on the sofa, tucking a mohair blanket around her. Now you get warm and cosy while I get your whiskey. Then you can tell me what happened. As they sipped fiery liquid, Monica explained how the police had delivered a letter from the Department of Foreign Affairs. She'd been working at the restaurant that evening, so Jared was home alone when he got the news that Sally had died in a house fire in a mountain village in Hokkaido. The authorities had not been able to identify any remains, but her ID bracelet was found in the ashes. Several villagers were able to confirm that Sally had gone into the house, yet no one had seen her come out. Sally looked stunned. There was a fire, but I left the village while the house was still burning. I didn't say goodbye. The situation was chaotic. It didn't seem right to draw attention to myself. Monica shook her head. That doesn't sound like the Sally I know, the family show-off always wanting to be noticed. Sally's eyes narrowed. She did not answer. Monica searched her sister's face. Seems like these people have had an effect on you. She reached out to trace the lines of dots curving around Sally's lip. What's this? She asked. Fuchi did it for me. Who? Fuchi. It means grandmother. She was an elder in the village. She had this traditional mouth tattoo. You know, I read there were no tattooed women left. The last one had died in 1998. Can you imagine how excited I was when I saw her? She told me that the Ainu women had a mouth tattoo to protect against evil spirits. They believe the spirits of sickness and misfortune get into your body through your mouth. Her tattoo obviously worked. She was over a hundred years old. Sally touched her lips thoughtfully. But then she died. And that's why it's only the beginning of a mouth tattoo. Hang on. Did she die in the fire? No, of course not. I don't know why she died. Probably from old age, don't you think? Her relatives didn't seem surprised. Everyone from the village came to the funeral and they all wore those special embroidered clothes. They said prayers to the fire deity to ensure her safe journey to the other world. After she was buried, they burned her home. What? Monica flinched. Her home was burned as part of the funeral? Yes, it's an old custom. Mind you, it was an old home and not very big. No, you don't understand. House fire at a funeral? That's exactly what Jared was told about how you died. Sally shrugged. I don't know what to say. I'm so sorry for what you and Jared have been through. Sally put her arms around her sister. Monica braced herself. Sally... There's something I have to tell you. Jared died. His funeral was today. What? How? 
tears rolled down Monica's cheeks. Nobody knows why. He just seemed to fade away. All the light went out of him. No more singing. No more trekking through the bush, sketching native flowers. He just died. Sally sagged against the sofa and closed her eyes. Monica did too. That night, the two sisters lay in their brother's bed. A cold westerly wind was blowing, and the plane tree outside Jared's room seemed to murmur his name as its branches scratched across the window pane. Monica shivered and pulled the duvet over her shoulder. That wind makes me feel nervous, she said. Don't be a scaredy cat, Sally said, matter-of-factly. Tell me about Jared's funeral. Sharon helped me to organise everything. Sharon? You know, Dad's niece. She's about my age. Oh, the one who used to come and stay. Yes, she was wonderful. She spoke about Jared, about all of us when we were kids. Monica blew her nose. You know, Jared felt totally connected to you, like he was doing everything with you. You two always had a strong bond, even when you were babies. Yeah, well, we're only 13 months apart. God, how did Mum do that? With my help, of course, thought Monica. I was only six when Jared was born, but Mum made me feel responsible. Then again, I like being needed. Maybe Mum knew that. She was exhausted, Monica said, her voice flat. All the time. The Ainu people think evil spirits are responsible for ailments. Offering delights to the gods brings about healing, Sally said. Mum wasn't ailing, just tired and under stress. Like this house. What are you talking about? Sally sat up and tilted her head. Listen. The wind was gusting and the floorboards creaked as the house rocked a little on its stumps. Rain began to fall, drumming on the tin roof and splashing against the window pane. Sally got out of bed, switched off the light and drew the curtains back from the window. Nearby, a dog yelped and growled as lightning flashed a jagged light across the sky. Sally counted the seconds until the thunder rolled. 29, roughly 10 minutes till the storm hits. I don't like storms, Monica said. Close the curtain and come talk to me. Sally sat at the edge of the bed. There was an old Ainu man... Asenash. His name means great hunter. I spoke to him quite often. He was some kind of sage. The first time I met him, he looked into my eyes, and it was like he could see right into my soul. He told me this story. Long ago, there was a god who had three children with an earthly woman. The children were born with intertwined spirits. In each child, the bond was manifested in a human trait. For the youngest, the trait was blind devotion. For the middle child, it was jealousy. And for the oldest, it was responsibility. Monica felt a chill pass through her and goosebumps rose on her arms. She held her breath. Sally went on. Wherever they went, this bond held them together until the middle child died and went to the other world. This child couldn't bear being apart from the siblings. The spirit returned to claim its own. How? 
Did the spirit enter them through their mouths? No. The middle child actually returned to the land of the living and took the spirits of the two siblings back to the other world. Monica's face drained of blood. Her stomach churned. That's terrifying, she said. Not when the old man told it. I liked the story. He told me a lovely poem too. Something about the owl god. Sally tapped her forehead. I can only remember a bit of it. Fall, fall, silver drops all around. Fall, fall, golden drops all around. It sounds protective, don't you think? Monica's voice dropped to a whisper. I wish Jared was worse. Maybe he is. Maybe he's here, but we can't see him. I'd like to think he knows you're here. Remember that woven belt you sent? Jared loved it. He even wore it sometimes. He said it made him feel close to you. Monica stiffened. What was that? It sounded like a bin falling over. Monica lay still. The wind was howling around the house, but she couldn't hear rain anymore. It must have stopped. I hope it's blown the storm away from us, she thought, trying to ignore the scary weather. She conjured a memory of her brother wearing the woven belt. Sally's voice broke into her thoughts. Fuji gave me that belt. It's called a girdle. Actually, Upsaw cut in Ainu. It's a symbol of a woman's soul strength. Every girl made one to wear when her mouth tattoo had been completed. Her mother would tell her what pattern to make because the designs were handed down in families. Apparently, a woman had to wear it under her clothes because if she ever let a male see it, something bad would happen. Bad? Like what? Like a death. Monica recoiled. You didn't tell us that when you sent it. Didn't I? What happened to it? I put it in Jared's coffin. I put in little things that belonged to mum and dad, and a little wooden carving that was mine. I thought the belt could be something that was yours. Pity. I'd like to have kept it. Sally, I thought you were... gone. I'm sorry, I'll make it up to you, I promise. I'll take away all this pain. As Sally lay down beside her, Monica began to cry. Did her sister know how much pain was in her heart? How she tried to support Jared, but nothing she did was ever enough. He just seemed to fade. As if he were detaching himself from life. Oh, Sally... If only you'd come home sooner. Monica's tears turned to heaving sobs. Sally reached out and stroked her sister's hair. Ira kara pite, Monica, she murmured. Ira kara pite. Let me softly touch your heart. It was dark inside the car, warm and dark like a cocoon. Sharon blinked in the bright sunlight as the driver opened the door. Now I'm the chief mourner, she thought, as the minister walked towards her. Sharon, hello, he said. Everything's ready. 
If you'll just come this way. Let her across the grass. Several chairs were dotted around the grave for those too old or too sad to stand. Sharon sat down at the end of the grave. Relatives and friends stood around the coffin. The minister smiled gently. He began to speak. Welcome, everyone. First of all, may I say how deeply sad I am that we are gathered here again so soon after Jared's farewell. Sharon tried to listen, but her mind kept returning to the morning after Jared's funeral. She called into Monica's house to make sure all was well. She knew her cousin was afraid of storms. Monica's car was in the driveway, but there'd been no answer when Sharon knocked on the door. Sharon had used the spare key to enter. Something had felt strange, and she'd become alarmed when her calls went unanswered. In Jared's room, Sharon had found her cousin in bed. Despite the mohair blanket drawn up to her chin, she was cold. I cannot imagine the burden of grief you carry. The priest continued. As we come together today to say our goodbyes and lay Monica to rest. You've been listening to the Night's End Podcast, which is a production of Dissonance Media. The Tale of the Ainu was written by Robin O'Sullivan and was originally published in Midnight Echo. She's a professional writer and editor from the Basque Coast of Victoria, Australia. Her published works include a novella, Topsy Turvy, and short story collections, Getting Alive and Everything's Alright, all released by the award-winning Ginningdera Press. For more from Robin, please head over to robinosullivan.com. This episode was narrated by Jules, the host from the J Experiment podcast, which hosts a collection of intriguing, unexplainable and creepy tales, all told by Jules. To check it out, head over to thejexperiment.podbean.com or search for it wherever you get your podcasts. Jimmy Horrors was performed by James Barnett. The Butler was performed by Xander from the Xander and Stone podcast. This episode was produced and edited by James Barnett. Do you have a script that is a self-contained story that would work well as a standalone audio drama episode? The Night's End team are looking for engaging and scary scripts. Please submit to the editor at nightsendpodcast.com or head over to www.nightsendpodcast.com for more details. And as always, stay horrific, everyone. <laughs>